0: Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game like panel discussion that is posted each Tuesday during the season. The huddle features WRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Let's meet the panelists a RSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways. In addition to regular season football and basketball reports, he also has his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC, Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com columnist, national recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of WeRSC's Friday's Four Downs video show and Five Things video show, which is posted on YouTube, and WeAreSC.com, after each and every USC football home and away game, he's a graduate of USC, Eric McKenney. A former William Jewell College defensive back and WRSC columnist, writes the popular WeRSC.com column, Musings with Arledge, and well-received Musings with Arledge solo video edition. He's a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge. A weekly we RSC columnist who writes Fridays, The Obvious and Not-So-Obvious, From the Press Box, IMHO Sunday, the WeAreSC.com Travel Guide, and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojans Huddle, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeAreSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Settle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WFC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers unlimited premium access for just $1 for one one month. If you're not already a full-time premium subscriber, you won't want to miss the USC football website that really does tell it like it is. All right, let's kick it off. Panel, your overall thoughts and comments regarding the USC-Oregon game. The good, the bad, the ugly. Who or what was the key to the game? As we all know, the Trojans uh, lost. So (laughs) let's find out the nuts and bolts of it and what you thought. Let's start off with Mark Culkin. Mark, what do you think? Um, Well, you know, usually after
1: a USC loss, which they've been frequent this year, I'm upset, I'm angry. There's a visceral reaction. I went into this game anticipating USC coming out on the, low, on the wrong side of the scoreboard. So I already had a, an anticipation level set. The fact that they played, I thought, maybe their best game on defense of the season, despite giving up a touchdown on two plays, despite giving up touchdown on three plays to open the game, I, I saw the defense actually kind of get better as the game progressed. So from that standpoint, knowing that USC was going in shorthanded, knowing that they are a two touchdown plus underdog, uh, they actually had a chance to win this game. In my opinion, had they made this move defensively two, three weeks, four weeks ago, I think they would have been able to settle in and been a little bit more comfortable. Um, At this point in the season, and I, I noticed it after the game how relaxed Caleb William Caleb Williams was. He, he just—it's it, like the the weight of the weight of the world was off his shoulders. So USC, they went in there, they played as hard as they could. The effort was there. Right now, it's offensively. I, I'm not sure what the problem is from the sideline communicating to the guys on the field. They waste too much time on offense. Um, And that, I think, helps the opponent's defense. So there's just, I know I'm rambling, but there was just so much to like about that game, but there was so much that just stood out to why USC wasn't able to win. And it was just a big sampling of everything they've done this year. Like what Coach Riley said after the game, we just don't surge together. You know, you have special teams that plays poorly. You have defense that plays okay. You have an offense that kind of does what they're supposed to but not consistently so with all that said um i expected them to lose they lost but they looked i hate to say it like this but they kind of looked okay losing and had they made i think had they made this change defensively early in the season if not at the beginning of the season maybe we're not talking with such melancholy tones
0: eric you're feeling melancholy what'd you think you were there
2: Yeah, I thought USC played pretty well, which is kind of disgusting to say in in a nine point loss when you never really felt like they were in it. I mean, I said during the game, this that game felt like the end of the 2021 season where you knew for 60 minutes that they weren't going to win and you just wanted them to play hard and you wanted to see some individual plays Maybe they're a little closer, and certainly that Oregon team is way better than any of those teams they played at the end of that 2021 20, 20, season. But that's the team we're talking about right now with USC, where that that's a that's a pretty good effort from them. And you had two, maybe three of just some of the worst defensive plays you could imagine in those two long touchdowns. Even the play that maybe didn't ice it because it wasn't as if USC had, had a great shot to win, but the very last play of the game when when Oregon, I guess not the last play, but when they convert that fourth down, when Bucky Irving, who has caught a ton of passes, is completely unguarded out of the backfield. I mean, you you just you have stuff like that, and it, it's so baked in to what you expect to see from USC that you you kind of just ignore it and you look at the rest of it and you think they gave Oregon a fight and there were times there were absolutely times in that game where you could see here here comes the towel right the the, the lead had been stretched and Oregon had that momentum and you just figured SC is done they're not going to get back from this and they kept going and that's positive the game was won the game was was won by Phil Knight And what Oregon has been able to establish in this day and age of college football with their top down approach through roster building, through financial support, through NIL, through all of that. And the difference right now between the two programs in all of those things was eye opening and pretty stark just from even from a a game presentation. Right. Experience. And, And we talked about that there. So that that to me was one of those things seeing it up close Oregon is on a slightly different level not not one that USC can't get to and even though they are there USC still played with them it's not as if USC has nothing and it is is one of the the pores in the Pac-12 in terms of talent and ability and and all of that stuff uh But USC has to has to get itself figured out because it is going into the Big Ten with a Washington program and an Oregon program that have shown the last two weeks that they are a step ahead right now. And certainly you wouldn't put USC against a Michigan and Ohio State, maybe even a Penn State, although I don't trust James Franklin in any game in any way against anyone with a pulse uh but that's that's what stood out to me was that in in this game Oregon showed itself to to be the better program right now and and USC it's not that USC can't get there but there there's a hill to climb uh for sure and and Dan Lanning I don't I still don't think he is a great head coach in in terms of decisions and in-game stuff and I'm not going to compare him to David Shaw at all but it's that kind of thing where Dan Lanning has shown that he knows what he wants his program to look like, and it hasn't taken him that long to really instill that kind of speed on offense, hard-hitting, tough defense, guys just kind of coming in waves. Oregon had its injury issues too during the game, and they just kind of kept going, kept going, kept playing. So uh, Chris Chris is turning green a little bit. I think that's sickness uh, at this point, having to hear this enough. So so I'm going to stop there. (laughs) <laughs> and and let him go but but that's what that's what stood out that's what stood out to me is is that gap between those programs right now
0: well I'm glad you used the term green because uh Oregon so I know that all the Oregon fans that tune in are just waiting to hear what Chris has to say so Chris what do you got to say
3: I don't know what green has to do with Oregon half their uniforms aren't aren't uh, aren't green <laughs> but uh, look I, I wasn't It wasn't that I was disappointed in the outcome of the game. I thought there was a very real chance that USC would get blown out. Oregon's a really good football team this year. They're better than Washington. They're significantly better than Utah. And if I think if anybody in the country had to play them at Austin right now, I'd have Oregon favored. I think they're that good. Um, What was disappointing was to see the gap between Oregon and USC. That was disappointing. It was disappointing that a coaching staff of a bunch of uh, used car salesman kids who I made fun of before, uh, you know, when they were hired when that staff was put together, a bunch of guys that can recruit. I don't know if they can coach. You know what? They've done a better job coaching than Lincoln Riley and his staff have this year. Those guys know what they're doing. They're aggressive. They're tough. Oregon is bigger. They're faster. Um, It was a nine point game, but that makes it a little bit closer than it was right. I mean, There was never a time in that game where it looked like USC could win, especially because they went out very early on and decided to give up two touchdown passes, the length of the field, right, right off the bat. And once you see that, you realize that if USC is going to have a chance to win this game, they're going to have to play perfectly and coming out and giving up two 77 plus yard touchdowns in the first two drives isn't exactly consistent with the whole we-need-to-play-perfectly uh, mantra. I mean, the defense The defense played – I'll tell you what the defense did well, what I was happy to see. And, and I, I had hoped that they would do this. I would hope that they would make more of a commitment to stopping the run. They did. It's not that Oregon couldn't run the ball. Uh, Oregon did, and Bucky is a, is a good back. But Oregon had 31 carries for 140 yards, 4.5 a carry. That's not bad. Against a really good running team, that's not bad. And, and that's what I wanted USC to do. And I said before the game, if, uh, you know, if Bo Nix beats you, throwing the ball downfield, so be it. And that's what happened. I'm disappointed that USC's secondary still has no idea what they're doing. I mean, that's just not good. It's not good. The, the, the first two touchdowns were pretty gruesome to watch. There was the play later in the game where Gamani doesn't know what coverage he's in. He's trying to get somebody to tell him. Um, when in doubt, and I know Damani doesn't listen to this, but Damani, when in doubt, if you're not sure what the coverage is, don't let the guy behind you. That's really, I mean, that's that's a fundamental thing about playing defensive back. When in doubt, make sure the guy stays in front of you. Um, the tackling, The tackling, especially in the secondary was bad. And the thing is that the front seven wasn't terrible. They're not great. They can't get pressure against that Oregon offensive line, but nobody else has been able to either. That's a good group. Um, but the front seven wasn't terrible. They weren't perfect, but it, they weren't terrible. But the secondary was so bad, and and the tackling in the secondary, the angles, the coverage, it just made me sad to watch it, frankly. Because, and I know they have, I know they had some some new guys back there. I don't, I don't use that as an excuse just because I saw what the old guys do every week, too. So I, I don't know what, what difference that makes. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it made me sad to see the gap between the two programs. And, and it's very clear at this point that USC does need a new defensive coordinator. They are going to need new assistants, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I think everybody realizes that. They also need to improve their roster dramatically or get into better players just about everywhere. And that was pretty obvious watching the game. So um, yeah, look, it wasn't embarrassing. I expected the loss. They did get blown out. I thought there was a chance that they would. And maybe most importantly, I thought they kept playing the whole night, right? I mean, they didn't give up. And there were times, especially 36 to 14, or maybe after that second long touchdown pass, where I've seen USC teams in the past, including the team two years ago, they probably just would have folded up their tents and, and just rolled over. And they did to their credit, the guys played hard all night and um, uh, and that's to their credit. It's the Lincoln Riley's credit that they did that. But, um, but those two teams are not in the same universe right now. Well, you know,
0: first of all, if you've never been to Hudson stadium, it is really well managed from the pregame, during the game. Uh, Whoever is the management for uh, how the game progresses from a fan's point of view does a magnificent job. I would suggest that USC take a look at what Oregon's doing from the time the team comes out with the motorcycle and the duck on it, and they they're constantly they're having former players uh, during the game uh, during a timeout. They talk with former greats. Marcus Mariota was one of them. You don't see that on TV. Uh, but they keep pounding away at the players who are great legendary players and getting them on the screen really well done. They don't do noise for the sake of noise. Uh, you know, I, I know there's been a lot of complaints about SC and the noise. And I think that uh, the DJ at, uh, for SC, the Coliseum, He's done a good job in a lot of ways, getting the crowd involved. But that being said, uh, these are things that they can handle off the field. I thought on the field, echoing what you guys said, they didn't give up. I What I liked and I paid close attention to was the defensive line alignment. They seemed to be covering uh, guards and tackles, and you didn't see any real natural holes of grass to run through. Uh And, you know, we knew that this was uh, from recruiting the last number of years that SC had lost out on a number of players. One, Josh Connolly, was on the offensive line for Oregon. And there were some others. And, you know, Lincoln Riley's going to have to take a real hard look, not in just what he's doing, but some of the comments he's saying after the game. Some of them, look, we're not going into the third game of the season. We're finishing the 11th game of the season. And saying, oh, we're really close. We're right there. And, you know, play here, play there. Well, you know what? Be careful. Those comments are all going to come back to bite you. And the fact of the matter is, it sounded very Clay Helton-ish to me, uh, which was disappointing. I kept saying, actually, I think I mouthed the word. I was in the press box watching it on uh, closed circuit. And he was saying stuff. And I said, please don't say it. Stop talking. You know, it's to the point where, you know, say we fought hard. You want to say we're going to go look at the films or what have you, but you got to zip it because it's coming back to bite you this late in the season. Um, now, Oregon did have a truckload of recruits there. So I was expecting that uh, Lanning would try to just blow it up by 70 points. Didn't happen. Credit to Lincoln Riley and his staff on that one. Credit to the players for sure. Um but now it's going to get interesting with UCLA, which we'll talk about here in the second quarter. Uh, but all in all, I didn't come away feeling really unhappy. I expect, I thought they were going to get going to lose by more. Now, there's no acceptance of losing. I don't think any Trojan sit there and says, well, that was an okay loss. There are no okay losses, right? There's no such thing as a bad win. A win is a win. A loss is a loss. My, my perspective is, obviously, if you're not going to get the national championship, Okay, that's a joke. You're not going to win the Pac-12. No longer a deal. You have to win the UCLA game. That is a viable city championship. And uh, boy, I tell you, if SC doesn't win this one, look out. That's all I can say. Look out in the offseason. But that being said, um, let's move on here. Fans, you ever been caught in a last-minute ticket frenzy, distress, uncertainty? It's crunch time. You don't need it. But guess what? There's a game-changing solution. It's called Game Time. Imagine this. Effortless ticket buying for all your favorite sports, music, comedy, theater events. No more frantic searches. Game Time is your ultimate ticket buddy. Sounds good to me. want perks? Well, how about incredible deals on last-minute tickets and a rock-solid best price guarantee? Say goodbye to ticket anxiety. Hello to the sheer joy of being in the moment. This Saturday, the Trojans return to the Coliseum for the last game of the 2023 regular season hosting Crosstown rival UCLA. The USC-UCLA game has been declared a sellout, but Game Time has tickets for as low as $97. A reminder, you can also check out Game Time for the best ticket values for USC basketball games at the Galen Center. So check out Game Time tickets after watching or listening to today's Inside the Trojan Huddle. Aside from USC tickets, you can also head to Game Time for Rams, Chargers, Lakers, Clippers. Tickets to all your favorite LA teams, and don't forget those concerts as well Flash deals, easy access, seat views, images, unbeatable price guarantees, event protection. GameTime has it all from sports to rock concerts. And here's the deal. Head to GameTime.co. That's GameTime.co. That's co, not .com. Download the app. Create an account. Use Trojans for $20 off your first purchase. Ready to dive in? As for buying tickets, it's as easy as tapping on your phone. Tickets are sent straight to your phone. Again, download the GameTime app. Create an account. Use code TROJANS for $20 off. Terms apply. Create an account and redeem code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Download game time today, last-minute tickets, lowest price guarantee. All right, guys, let's move to the second quarter with a preview of the UCLA Bruins, guided by six-year head coach Chip Kelly. Bruins are now 3-4 and four in the Pac-12 and 6-4 and four overall. On Saturday, the Bruins were upset and perhaps even embarrassed By ASU 17-7 in front of 56,436 fans at the Rose Bowl, the USC at UCLA game from the Coliseum will kick off at 12:30 p.m. Pacific time and will be televised on ABC. Offensively, Bruins have health issues at quarterback, so we'll wait to see who starts. Last week against ASU, Bruins quarterback Colin Shealy was 11 of 18 for 117 yards and one touchdown. Running the ball for the Bruins last week, quarterback Shealy had 51 net yards, along with Keegan Jones, the running back, along with Ball State transfer Carson Steele. UCLA relies on receivers like Logan uh, Loya to aid in the passing game. Defensively, UCLA is pretty good, thanks to first-year coordinator DeAnton Lynn from the NFL. His teams play a style, tough, physical defense. Leading the way, our defensive lineman, the Atu Latu, Jay Toia, the former Trojan, and linebacker Darius Mewasu. UCLA is currently averaging 26.4 points per game on offense, while allowing just 16.4 points per game on defense. The Trojans opened a six-point favorite over the Bruins. So let's get into this. First of all, panel, your thoughts on the point spread. Chris? It's
3: a reasonable point spread in this game. Um are we waiting for game analysis? You just want my point spread spread. Yeah, uh, what do you think? Are you shocked about it? Did you think it's I'm not I'm not um, upset. Ups- I'm not upset at Vegas for that. That seems reasonable.
1: Okay, Mark? I guess the only interesting thing I would say is, you know, this is Caleb Williams' last home game and Vegas has only given USC six points. I'm thinking something's up. Something behind
3: the scenes is going on here. Eric, I, maybe they just watched our games. Yeah, USC <laughs> USC hasn't
2: beat a team by more than seven points since September 23rd. What I, a
0: stupid comment! I mean, six
2: six total points maybe seems fine. No, uh, yes, I mean six is fine. I don't, I don't, I don't think SC is going to cover that. I think it's going to be another close game, just because that's what happens. USC plays to the level of of whoever they're playing and defense Notre Dame that's true (laughs) defensively they haven't really been able to to put anyone away for what feels like a long a long long time um I understand USC being being favored Chip Kelly said on on Monday that both those quarterbacks were available for practice and and so if they're going to practice all week I'd expect them to be able to play if this was a this is the third string UCLA quarterback. Maybe that's different, but, but you will show up. They'll, they'll show up to play
0: in this one. You know, I thought Mark kind of hit the nail on the head. Something's up. Is it possible that they held out the quarterbacks? So they'd be ready for the USC game rather than ASU. Maybe they thought they could get by ASU. Uh, I thought six points was, I don't know. I thought it should have been more personally. Uh, USC supposed to have the greater offense, But, you know, if UCLA's quarterbacks will be ready to go. Here's uh, what I remember. Who made the biggest play in last year's game against UCLA? I'm tossing that to the panel. Who made the biggest play?
3: It's Corey Foreman. We all know that.
0: Corey Foreman. That's right. So, Corey's thinking, you got to put me in just based on my past history against the Bruins. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised at that, especially Caleb's probable last game. Uh, But who knows? You know what? Like I said, if SC better win this game, I hate to put the pressure on it, but uh that could be an ugly press conference. And do you the think has the better defense, Oregon or UCLA. I mean,
1: statistically, UCLA has the better defense, but who has the better defense? You I know, I,
0: I actually like UCLA's defense when you watch it up front. Uh, you know, if it, they I think they have kind of I mean, you guys can disagree with me. I think that teams are figuring out how to do their best keeping Caleb from turning it into a playground game and reverse pivots and all that sort of stuff. That's an, it is a good question. So with that in mind, let's, let's go on your thoughts on uh, the, on the game itself panel. What will you be looking for on the USC offense, defense, special teams against the Bruins? What will be the key to the game? Chris.
3: Well, UCLA, does have a good defense. I mean, it's, it's an Oregon Utah level defense. I think, I think they're that good. Uh, and they, they have a good pass rush. They will get after Caleb Williams because USC has trouble protecting him when the other team has good pass rush. And Caleb Williams these days has trouble getting the ball out on time. So, um, they're going to get to him. They're going to sack him. Hopefully Caleb will protect the football when that happens. USC will still score some points. USC has too many athletes offensively not to score some points. Um, when it comes to the USC defense, the reality is that any team that plays fundamentally sound defense against UCLA will hold them to a couple of touchdowns at most. They're just not any good offensively. Um, they're better running the ball than they are throwing it, which is not unusual for a Chip Kelly team, but they're not particularly good at anything. And, but, you know, I started that by saying any team that plays fundamentally sound defensively, I don't expect that will happen. I mean, how can I possibly expect that will happen this week? I think the UCLA passing game will have some success. Not consistently. They're not good enough to have consistent success, but I think they'll make some big plays in the passing game. And and guys, the reality is I've seen a lot of UCLA teams worse than this one beat USC. I've seen UCLA teams that are worse than this one playing against USC teams that are better. Beat USC. Because the one thing you can count on in this game is that UCLA will be ready to play. These got I don't know what USC's mental state will be. I think they'll come ready to play. I do. But I know UCLA will. Because there's nothing UCLA likes better. It's nothing that means more to their program than being USC. It's what they live for. It's the only thing they care about. They don't do anything in football. For the last 50 years, I, I turn 50 next week. In those 50 years, I've barely seen UCLA do anything in football worth talking about. It's a a third-tier program that should be a first-tier program, but they don't care. They don't try very hard. They're kind of soft. They're kind of lazy. They don't recruit very much these days even. They're no good, but there is one thing they do, and that is show up for the USC game. They're going to be ready to play, and it's going to be a dogfight. And if you think it's not going to be a dogfight, you're wrong. It's going to be a dogfight. All right. But USC well, has Caleb Williams, and Caleb Williams probably makes more plays at the end of that game than UCLA's quarterback, whichever one plays.
0: All right, Mark, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I,
1: look, I, I think is going to be able to score some points. They might not put up 45 points or whatever their seasonal average is, but I, I think they're going to be able to, to score points at home last game. USC was anticipated to go into the season and contend for the conference championship and then get to the playoffs for the first time. All that's done. I mentioned it, you know, in, in our first segment that after the game, you know, Caleb Williams was just, just more relaxed. He was congratulatory to the Oregon players. He had a smile on his face again, just that weight off his shoulders. I think this is his bowl game because I don't think he will play in USC's actual bowl game. So this will be his, Going away, present I, I guess to, to to USC fans. The the fact that UCLA cannot score points, even with USC's crappy defense. Uh, again, they're not going to be fundamentally sound. I mean, I mean, I don't know how many times you're going to watch a USC defender try and tackle somebody by the shoulders until they can figure out that's not how you're supposed to tackle, but that's what they do. Um, I do think they'll make enough plays because. The, for whatever reason chip kelly's team this year is just they cannot get started for whatever reason not running the ball or passing the game usc once their offense starts it's hard to stop them even as good as ucla's defense might be this year i i don't think they're going to be able to create enough pressure for caleb williams to to say you know what we're going to hold you guys to 15 or 20 points they're not Arizona State. USC is just a little bit better than Arizona State's offense. Eric
0: McKinney.
2: I think the key is is turnovers. I mean, USC has just it it's an epidemic of lost lost fumbles at this point. I mean, it's it's six games in a row that they've lost at least one. And Chris mentioned pressure on Caleb Williams. That that's coming. That's coming. And he has been. He's been a little sloppy with the ball, and and part of that is he's still trying to make plays when he's getting sacked and wrapped up. And and I don't blame you know he he doesn't want to just drop to the ground when a defender's there. He's gotten away from those guys before, and so trying to make that play, that ball's getting knocked out. the The mesh point kind of handoff is he pulling it? Is the running back grabbing it too hard? Like that that communication has got to get figured out. The USC offensive line is going to be up against it in this one. UCLA gives up 70 yards a game on the ground. They've they've allowed two rushing touchdowns this entire year. They are going to make life tough on the USC offensive line. And there is not really any belief at this point that the USC offensive line has, has caused anybody to have that they're going to show up and dominate a, a really good UCLA defensive front. I think that could get, I think that could get frustrating uh, for USC. The UCLA offense is not good. They'll make place there. There'll be a receiver open in the secondary somewhere that can turn into a, into a big gain. So if USC can hold onto the ball, and actually finish all their drives. And I don't even mean touchdowns. I just mean don't turn it over. Then you'll USC should be fine and score enough to win this game. But this is this is not a good UCLA team. This is a UCLA team that just lost to an Arizona State team that was like making up offensive plays on the fly as as it went out there just guys kind of everywhere formations from like the 20s and 30s. I mean that that's kind of what they went out there with. Uh, and and beat this UCLA team, but UCLA is good in the places that could give USC some trouble. Uh, the way USC played against Oregon, right all the way through to the final whistle, competent enough on both sides. That's fine. If if they get that again, they'll beat UCLA. But the idea that they're just going to come out and roll over them—we're we're at game twelve. This this USC team is not going to come out and roll over anybody. I think at this point, I mean, if they if they got Arizona right now, a team they beat, uh, I I don't know if they got San Jose State right now. Like, would would it look uh maybe as as easy as it did in in the first game? So I think they've got some challenges if they come out play hard eliminate just the stuff where you you kind of throw your hands in the air, right? How Caleb Williams and Austin Jones have played a ton of football. They played a ton of football together, just dropping a ball on the ground in that situation where you had to have an offensive drive. That's rough. And, and when Lincoln Riley talks about we keep doing those kinds of things, he's right. And those are absolutely killing them when it comes to wins and losses this year. And so that would be, for me, that's the difference between a win a win and a loss. USC is going to make some. There's going to be some bad plays, but can you eliminate just the the catastrophic ones where you just sit there and how does that how does that happen in a situation like that?
0: Well, I I, I think the game on Saturday is going to be interesting because it is the senior recognition or people who are no longer to be players at SC uh, after this game, and we'll. We'll see who runs through the uh, heritage tunnel uh, right before the team takes the field. Uh, Is Caleb Williams going to be part of that heritage tunnel? Probably not, but uh, we'll be looking for that. Um, Sorry, keep,
2: keep going. But last year there were guys that walked out that came back, right? Shane Lee walked uh, on senior day and then, and then was back at USC. So kind of, what does that mean is is that a final statement or or
0: who's walking or or not maybe that's a, maybe that's a new tradition more pub go go do it twice you loved it the first time do it again uh you know i always worry about when ucla is the underdog and they're not scoring well i mean you've all been through it i've been through it a long time there's always somebody especially when they have a quarterback who's playing who's not i mean we all remember all the names of ucla quarterbacks became name brands because they help upset USC. SC has to start off on offense and put UCLA on its heels, go down there, not just the first possession, but the second, the third, as many t- as it takes for UCLA's offense to really start pressing. Uh, you know, I'm kind of intrigued about uh, SC's defense up front, but, uh, when they have more than just two days of practice to figure out whatever changes they want. So whatever they can get done this week, will will I think add to it. I don't think it's going to add to the way the secondary plays. I think it's basically very disappointing. And I tell you what, the safety play at SC, by the way, has been very disappointing as well. Uh, Some of the players who are more notable are not having a good season. Um, A guy to watch out for one way or the other is Branch on special teams. He's had it kind of rough the last uh, several weeks. Uh, uh, I think he had one big game, but, you know, he, again, because he wants to do so much for his team. He had a run back that he shouldn't have run back against Oregon, I believe. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to show some patience. And when he does get the ball, you know, it would be nice if they would block for him on kickoff returns. That would help. Uh, Key to the game. I think we'll be uh, turnovers. We'll see who commits the most turnovers. You know, one thing I know that when SC and UCLA get together, where there's nothing on the line, once the game is kicked off, you forget about all that stuff. They'll come to play. They'll both hit. Uh, Both of them are having disappointing seasons in their own way. Uh, You know, USC has got a bowl game. You know, they're talking about uh, the Las Vegas bowl against maybe Wisconsin. Either way, you know, the season isn't going to end for USC after this game, but you don't want to lose to UCLA and then go into the bowl season. That's kind of like a recipe for disaster. All right. A reminder, USC football fans, following the conclusion of each and every USC home and away football game, WRC brings you five things, a timely analysis from moderator and WRSC editor-in-chief Eric McKenney, along with columnists Mark Culkin and Greg Katz, Again, check out Five Things on YouTube and wearese.com after the conclusion of Saturday's USC-UCLA game from the Coliseum. All right, halftime. Let's stay on the SC-UCLA theme. Memories, panel on Saturday, UCLA will travel to the Coliseum to play Crosstown Rival USC, battle between the public and private LA universities. Give us your best USC-UCLA game memory and your worst USC-UCLA game memory. Eric,
2: I like that you specifically asked for best because we've done this run of memories of these teams, and I th- I think I was a hundred percent with with all losses. So the the best is two thousand one. Um, that was my my freshman year at USC, and and we had those athletics cards, and for the UCLA game, you had to turn in your card one or, or groups of two or four or eight or something like that. And then they would just give you random tickets uh, in the student section. So we were first row, like 40 yard line, something around there uh, for that 27, nothing. That was a, that was a fun one. The worst was 13 to nine. I was at the Rose bowl for that one. And the Rose bowl doesn't get a lot of credit for being loud that late interception by UCLA, that's the loudest I've heard any stadium at any point. And it may have just been like one of those movie scenes where the camera pans out really fast and it's just echoing in my head because of the situation on the field. Uh, but that's a memory that I'll have for a while. That that one, just the whole game was so rough. And then to end it like that where you think, okay, they're, they're going to make enough plays here at the end to, to finish this off. And to have it end like that was uh was not good i still think maybe maybe the 2001 was better than the thirteen nine was was bad but maybe not
0: well this is all cyclical on on our ages so for you that i thought those were were certainly reasonable choices
3: chris yeah those were both good choices i as Eric pointed out, most of the time we've been talking about losses, but with UCLA, it's different. I mean, we could have a, we could have a three hour show and just talk about UCLA memories. There's so many good and bad. Um, My good, I'm going to go with 1987. That game, that game really had everything that you would want in a football game. You had a really good UCLA team. They came in with only one loss. They were in the top 10 Troy Aikman, a quarterback, um, Gaston Green, they had, a, they had a good football team, uh, and were a pretty significant favorite over a three-loss USC team that, that wasn't nearly as talented. Uh, the Rose Bowl was on the line. You had, you had Rodney Pete's magnificent play at the end of the first half where he chases, uh, he chases a UCLA guy that most USC fans will remember this. If you weren't alive, then maybe you don't, but USC is driving down 10-0. Last play of the half, Pete gets picked off in the end zone, and it looks like UCLA is going to run it back and make it 17-0, which effectively ends the game. And Rodney Pete chased down a really good player from behind and and kept it at 10-0, USC wins that 17-13. A fantastic performance from him. You had the juggling catch by Eric Halfholter at the end of the game that's still disputed whether he caught the ball or not. Uh, I don't think it matters because USC would have scored anyway. At that point in the game, they would have scored on the next play. They were they were uh uh they were on fire. You had um you had a very young Mark Carrier picking off Troy Aikman. I mean it was that game had everything and it sends USC to the Rose Bowl. That was a fantastic football game. Um Eric took 13 to 9. He was right too. Um I I I thought about it, I thought about it last night, and it occurred to me that you know, that 13-9 game was 2006. If you look at 86, 96, 06, they were all disastrous in different ways. 86 was the first USC-UCLA game uh, I attended in person. It was at the Rose Bowl. UCLA was up 30 to nothing at the half. Just an absolute beat down. 96, USC's up 17. Almost for the entire game, they're up 17. They're up 17 in the fourth quarter. And just piss it all away. It was just a disaster. It did everything wrong. You could do wrong at the end of that game. Um, so I'm going to go with 96. It wasn't even a good. It wasn't even a good USC team. It was a terrible UCLA team. The game didn't matter. But in a really disappointing season, to be up 17 points to the Bruins and just give it away at the end was just heartbreaking. And uh, so I'm going to go with that one.
0: Okay, Mark. So,
1: I'm just going to say, as far as the worst, you can choose any one of those games from the eight game losing streak, but I'm just going to use the name John Barnes. And that's the end of that discussion. Uh, because that's what could happen this year. Another no name, Kurt Schley, or whatever their quarterback's name is, will go off like John Barnes against this USC secondary. And like you've been saying, Greg, heaven forbid that happened. Now, my, I, I have two choices for the best, and Eric mentioned 2001. I just have a specific play, and it was Antoine Simmons with that five-hole interception Why, while, while Brian Poley dixon was just kind of looking around figuring what the heck's going on. That play, and again, I, I've talked about this in the past, but people don't realize that Antoine Simmons was literally on, on the surgical table dead, and he came back and put himself in a position to play football again. And that was his, I guess, his defining moment as a Trojan. But that's I, how
3: much God wanted that pick six to happen.
1: Yes, he did. Yes.
3: He did. <laughs> and that rightfully so. Yeah,
1: that's a great, for anybody who doesn't know, go look up Antoine Simmons' story on YouTube. It's a really good story. Um, as far as I think the best game I ever watched USC beat the crap out of UCLA... It, ha- it happened one year before 2006. And 66 to 19. I mean, it was a beatdown of biblical proportions. Reggie Bush did what he wanted. Um, Matt Liner did what he wanted. Everybody on that USC team did what they wanted. The only time that I think USC had a better performance, if you want to look at the scoreboard, is when they put it by 50 to nothing win. So I'll take 66 to 19. I'll take Antoine Simmons playing five hole and taking a pick six. And then again, I never want
0: to hear the words John Barnes again. Well, we certainly won't bring up the name John Barnes for sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to pull out the old, old fart card. Uh, first of all, I agree. Uh, the 2006 13 to nine loss left me so angry. I couldn't see straight because I just said, This would have never happened offensively if Norm Chow had been the offensive coordinator. And I I blamed uh, Pete Carroll for having made that switch. Kiffin completely, no offense, but we do tell it like it is on this show, choked. No doubt about it. Uh, So that was kind of like the angry loss. Uh, But I think the one for me that hurt the worst was probably... uh, the 1965 USC UCLA game. SC was right there to go to the Rose Bowl. Mike Garrett, Heisman Trophy winner, never been to the Rose Bowl. It was looking good in the fourth quarter. I was there with my dad, who was a big UCLA fan. And Gary Beban, the sophomore, throws these incredible two fourth quarter touchdown passes. One late in the game. I'll never forget the name Kurt Altenberg, or I should say names: Kurt Altenberg and Dick Witcher. They both made catches. Uh, You talk about uh, secondary play. Don't let people get behind you. They did. And UCLA came out with that victory. And SC did not go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, Mike Garrett never went to the Rose Bowl. And it was just, it left me so hollow inside to lose that game when uh, so much was there and so much was lost. Now, conversely, I think there's been a lot of exciting games. You guys all pointed them out. Some really exciting, you know, back and forth into the 30s and 40s. Uh, And they were exciting games. And they're certainly worthy of discussion here. But for me, the game that will always mean the number one for me was the 1967 game. Uh, USC won 21 to 20, the famous OJ Simpson 64-yard run. You know, it's the beauty about getting older and the nice thing about YouTube is you can watch it again, and I watch it again and again and again. How much UCLA really dominated the game in the first three quarters. Uh, SC's offense was, UCLA was really tough. The little gutty Bruins were playing not like little, like big. And uh, the fourth quarter when uh, Simpson broke it, uh, it was, in fact, he broke two, one in the second quarter. A 13 yard run where you've seen it many times. In fact, I have a picture over my shoulder here. You can see it behind me now. That Simpson's 13 yard run against UCLA. Uh that I have uh in my uh studio here, which was fantastic. Uh then the, after they got the 64 yard run in the four, in the fourth quarter, SC really cranked it up physically. Defense cranked it up physically with Jimmy Gunn. And uh, a number of other players, Tim Rosevich, they, uh Adrian Young, linebacker, they were really tough. So that one is the one that uh, will always stick. And that was like for number one in the country. It was packed well titled, going to the Rose, Bowl, everything. Uh, and I, sometimes I think the tight games are the most satisfying to me. And the most painful ones are the close games in which you lose. All right, folks, we again strongly encourage those of you watching Inside the Trojan's Huddle on sites like YouTube or click the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly appreciated, and it is free. And you can also listen Inside the Trojan's Huddle on many available podcast sites, and be sure to check out wersc.com and become a premium subscriber. All right, third quarter, lightning round, Big Ten lightning round uh, predictions. This is a special USC-UCLA edition. So quick responses will go in the order of Mark, Eric, Chris and myself. Here we go. Question 1, yes or no, against the Bruins, Caleb Williams will throw for over 350 yards, three touchdowns, one running TD and throw no interceptions. Mark, yes or no? No. Eric? No. Chris? No. Nope. I say no. Question 2, yes or no against USC? Whoever the UCLA quarterback will be will throw for over 250 yards and three touchdowns passing. Mark. Yes. Okay, Eric.
2: I don't think whoever it is. I think Dante Moore
3: probably would. Chris. Please, no. Just that's all I want to say. Just please, no.
1: That's where I was. It's like
0: begrudgingly yes. (laughs) I will say yes. Question three, yes or no? Against UCLA, the Trojans will rush for over 125 yards. Mark? Yes. Eric? No. Chris? No. I say no. Question four, yes or no? Against USC, UCLA will rush for over 250 yards. Mark? No. Eric? No. Chris?
3: Better not be close. No.
0: And I will say no. Question five. On Saturday, which team, USC or UCLA, will have the most turnovers? Mark? USC. Eric? Hi. But
2: not at zero. They're both going to have at least one.
3: Chris? I see two each. I think UCLA will have
0: more turnovers. Question six on Saturday, which team will have more penalty yardage, USC or UCLA? Mark? USC. Eric. Uh
3: I think I think UCLA will. Chris? This is the Pac-12 officials' last chance to <laughs> to get a USC game. I think USC will have about a thousand penalty yards in this one.
0: All right, uh, I'm going to say USC, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to say they'll have uh, 999 yards and penalties. Uh, question seven: Yes or no? Saturday's game at the Coliseum has been already announced as a sellout. However, do you believe that the actual fans in the stands attendance will be above seventy thousand? Mark. No. Eric. No. Nope. Chris. No way. I say no. Question eight. Yes or no. Do you believe the USC UCLA rivalry is as intense as it was when, when you were in your youth, Mark? Absolutely not. Eric.
3: Yeah. Not close. Chris. Yeah, I agree. It's not close. It, but Back in the eighties, UCLA had a legitimate football program and, 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 and could put teams on the field that could really play. UCLA hasn't done that in a long time.
0: Uh, yeah, it's not nearly as intense as when I was growing up. That's for sure. Uh, question nine, fill in the blank, guys. Blank is the greatest UCLA villain in my lifetime. Mark,
1: the dude who got the interception on thirteen nine, Eric McNeil. I can't
2: Who's say the other.
1: Name? Name. I can't say the other name.
2: Eric. So the the first name that came to mind for me on this, just I, I wanted to not think about individual games, just a feeling. JJ Stokes was was the name that, that absolutely jumped out for me on this one.
3: Chris? I'm gonna go Ed Kazarian, the towel waiver, who also <laughs> happened to be also happened to be UCLA's all-time best football coach with an undefeated record. In fact, I'd like
0: to take back my answer and say Cade McNown.
3: Cade McNown was, Cade McNown was my second choice.
0: All right. Uh, I'm going to say for me it was Cade McNown. Uh, there was a lot of others that I could have picked, but for the l- longevity of his career, for me it was definitely Cade McNown. All right, now, question 10. The bonus question. If you had a high school child that told you they were accepted by both UCLA and USC, and they planned on going to UCLA how would you react, Mark?
1: They'd be out the door on their own, right? I, I would be the cancer in the jazz singer. Rip the pocket, <laughs>
0: Eric.
2: Yeah, are they playing? Are they playing sports? Is it is it an athletic scholarship? Because I feel like maybe that hey, changes no, it a no, little okay. bit.
0: Well, okay, well, I will clarify it for you as an academic scholarship to go to Please, USC. Please let's
2: let's go way deep into this one.
0: <laughs> okay, what's your answer? <laughs> uh
2: yeah, that that's but are are they passing up a huge scholarship to USC academic scholarship, right? Like that's that's got to come into play too. Uh, that's fine. I'd I'd pack him a white towel, send him to UCLA, tell him I'll see him in 4 years and then we we'd have a great reunion. <laughs> Mr. Arledge, <laughs> just rip the pocket, Eric.
3: Yeah, I think, no, I think, Eric's, I think Eric's thinking along the right lines. I mean, if if they have to pay 70K a year to go to USC and they had a scholarship to UCLA, then I couldn't fault them, uh, as disappointing as it would be. And I wouldn't tolerate any smack talk. Smack talk would, would lead to instant beatdown. But, you know, if they're getting money from the Bruins, then I guess you take the money. I don't know. All
0: right. Well, since I was kind of in this predicament at some level, my son did go to UCLA, even though he went to every USC football game at the time, sitting next to me and thought he was going to be a Trojan. In the end, it just didn't work out that way. So my reaction was, in fact, funny story. Um, So he goes to UCLA and uh, he's in the marching band. He played the tuba. And, uh, you know, it was very exciting, really, to see him come out of the Rose Bowl tunnel, march on the Rose Bowl field. And, you know, I've got a big picture uh, up of my sports, uh, I call it my ballpark room, uh, of Greg uh, Jr. And he's uh, playing, he's close up, he's in the end zone. And I got a shot of him playing the tuba uh, in the Coliseum. It It actually kind of brought tears to my eyes when he marched out onto the Coliseum, even though it was UCLA, but. I remember the last year that he played uh, for the UCLA marching band under Gordon Henderson. I, I came into the game at the Rose bowl and I had my USC stuff on shirt and I go, okay, I'm going to see him because they have this big rally before the game at the Rose bowl. I said, I don't want to embarrass him, you know, with his UCLA marching band friends. So I, uh, I got a sweatshirt and zipped it up and uh, figured, okay, I'm covered. So we get to the game. He's in his full-on uniform and the whole thing. And he walks up to me and he looks at me and he takes the zipper and he zips it right down and opens up my shirt where it says USC footballer. He goes, You just couldn't give it up, could you, Dad? And I said, Great. I tried to disguise it so I wouldn't embarrass you. He goes, That was the point. You shouldn't have been embarrassed about it. I went, Oh my god, I can't win with this. So It was certainly a moment to remember for me in the SC-UCLA rivalry. So, with that, here we go. We're between the third and fourth quarter here in the huddle, and uh, we will see it again in the Coliseum on Saturday, even though it's a day game. Uh, We do the symbolic lighting of the We Are SC symbolic Coliseum torch, which is, of course, in reality, the torch always is lit when USC home games between the third and fourth quarter. And while the torch burns a little bit, a reminder to all you recruitaholics don't forget to watch wersc.com's weekly recruiting show, Recruiting Roundup, with nationally respected Scott Trader, the best of the business, and host Brillian Brazier. And remember as well to watch Friday's Four Down Show with moderator Eric McKenney, along with myself, bringing you the latest info on USC's next opponent, the UCLA Bruins, sponsored by Prize Pick. So, with that in mind, Here we go. Third quarter. Viewer questions, panel answers. It's a free-for-all. I'll give you the question. Panel, there's no order. You can jump in if you think you've got uh, the right answer. So let's begin it. Question one from Scott in Gilbert, Arizona. With the season now basically over, do you feel like it would be a nice olive branch by Coach Riley to extend to the media to view all the practices this week in their entirety for the UCLA game? With the caveat, of course, nothing that nothing can be divulged uh any comments i would probably be more insulted if he did that than i'm already insulted the way he's
1: treated the media for practice so no that's not a good idea <laughs> to me, that's just like oh by the way here i was going to give this to the dog why don't you eat it before i throw it away
0: no <laughs> i i don't need that type of attitude sorry there you go any other comments on this one
3: i don't care if you're seven and four i don't care
0: well, I will say this: if you're uh, if you're going to be uh, where Se is today, it's definitely not the media's fault that they're in the predicament that they're in. Uh, so uh, I don't expect anything to change with Lincoln Riley. I think this is just what he is and what he believes in, and it's all good to me. But you can't you can't hide it when the games are played. It's like not watching somebody practice for a test. You're there to watch them take the test, and that's the only thing that counts. Uh, question two from Trojan fan in the Valley panel CLR Lincoln Riley seems to have a list of excuses air each and every week we're banged up we haven't played to our potential we haven't put on six played a full 60 minutes together we have guys playing in there that are probably about 70% right now my question is why do you think Riley is gaslighting with tons of excuses each week. Rather than admitting that the coaching staff, himself included, hasn't done a great job improving the play and time management, the team has been less than stellar as the offense has underperformed against better competition in the second half of the season, and his players on defense continue to be lost on so many plays. Obviously, he needs to recruit bigger, better, faster, stronger, but his ego is so big that he's just not willing to mea copa. I want this team to succeed, but FYI, Riley's two-year record is now the same as Helton's first two years. Yikes! And ugh, how can we improve? So
2: I, I don't, I don't totally know. Like, I, there's a lot of stuff he says after games where you kind of roll your eyes at it. There's a lot of stuff every single coach says after every single game where you roll your eyes at it. Lincoln Riley is not special in that way. I don't know what it does to have him sit up there and go after every single game, we're terrible. This guy was terrible. I was terrible. This was bad. This was bad. Like he, his natural inclination is to put a positive spin on things. The idea of we haven't played to our potential. We haven't put a full 60 minutes together. That's true. That's true. And he said, we, as coaches have to figure that out. We as players have to figure that out. That's on all of us to get better he says in each of these things we're not playing well some form of this wasn't good we don't we don't we're not doing this well there was a lot of talk on the board especially about how much respect people had for deon sanders for just whipping his team and talking about how terrible they were deon sanders just said we're really close we're really close in all these games and so that that's how coaches have to see it. They have to see, we have to make this change and we're there. This looks good. We need to make this little change and then we're there. Lincoln Riley knows that. He also knows that sitting up on stage and just bashing the program for 15 minutes, I don't know if that's going to, I don't know why that would make the fans feel better. It's really not going to make him and, and the locker room feel better. At this point going forward, what he does is, far more important than anything he says. I don't care what he says after the UCLA game. They could lose by 14, and he could say, we ended the season really well, we tried hard. What he does from the minute he goes back into that locker room after the end of the regular season, that's going to tell you everything you need to know about his mindset and what he wants to do for this program. I'm okay that he... I don't love that he brought everyone back from the year before. I don't love that he wanted to bring so many guys with him from Oklahoma for the same reason when Sark came down from Washington and he tried to bring his whole staff. No matter where you are, you have not put together the perfect staff. There's always a way to go upgrade and do things for your program. But I understood him wanting to hit the ground running quickly at USC with people that either Got USC or got him, and could get going really fast. I understand his sense of that first year at USC being, man, we're really playing with one hand tied behind our back in terms of the roster, and let's see what we can do in an offseason. You've you've seen it now. You've seen it now, and going forward to me, again is is far more important, and it, and it feels a little bit of a cop out because you have thrown this season away a season where you could have really made a statement and could have been a much better program than you are right now, which is all very true. Uh, but I guess, yeah, I don't know if cause I'm, I'm sitting in there and hearing it or, or what, but I'm less bothered by what he wants to say because he's been clear. There is a line, there is a line between if you're in the program and if you're out of the program and if you are out of the program it's not so much that he doesn't feel he owes you anything, but he's very protective of what goes on in his program with his people. So again, the idea that he's going to come out and, and be fully transparent and open and, and overly maybe negative about them, I, I just don't see him doing that. Certainly certainly not often. I, I'll keep mine brief.
1: I, I think what the fans are looking for is somewhere in the middle between what we've gotten from from Coach Riley and what you got from Coach Deion Sanders before Coach Prime said, we're close. There was a point where Deion Sanders was just brutally honest and like, you know what? We need better players, and we're going to go get better players. And that kind of comes back to what Lincoln Riley said last year, that 2022 was going to be his worst roster. Well, he got better players, and what USC fans see is, well, this team is supposed to be better, but they're not. So don't tell me we're better. Show me we're better. And I think that's where we're at right now, is like, enough of the talk. Walk the walk.
3: So- USC fans just want to know that Lincoln Riley uh, assesses the program with the way they do, which is... It's not you're not close. It's not like it's not like if you have a good play this way, then, then the season's a success. The season's a disaster and the program has a long way to go. And and they just want they just want to know that Lincoln Riley believes that so that they know he'll take action to solve it. That's what the fans want. But Lincoln Riley going to do what he does. It doesn't really matter what he tells us. And Lincoln Riley is not exactly transparent with us. So don't listen to him if it's frustrating. I stopped listening to Hilton because it was frustrating and because I knew he was an idiot. There's no point anyway. Uh, I don't think Lincoln Riley is an idiot. I think he screwed up. And I think he realizes he screwed up. And, and so I think he's going to make real changes. But we'll see. It doesn't really matter what he says right now.
0: Well, I do think it matters what he says right now because uh, from my perspective, is, it's all about credibility. You can't say like in the 10th or uh, 12th game, we're just about there when you know, dude, this is not the third or fourth game of the season. This is the 11th or 12th game of the season. You are not just two snaps away or whatever. And I think, and from my perspective, uh, what he should do is, and I agree with Chris on this, he should acknowledge what the fans see on the field. Our defense doesn't tackle well. Just say, basically supporting your audience. And then he can say, we're really working hard to make those changes. But know that we know and you know what the problems are. It's how we go about fixing them. I think he'd be in much better shape in that. And don't try to sell Wolf tickets to USC fans. We've been down this road one way too many times. We could cut away the fat and say, look, we know what you're trying to do. Don't do that way with us. Just tell us the truth. All right, question three from Redondo Beach SC. Would love to hear your insight on the future of, of recruiting and NIL, according to some prominent former players uh, on X. I guess that means Twitter. USC will never have the funds to compete with programs like Oregon and Texas A&M. We're already seeing this in diminished recruiting, especially in the trenches, which were, was on display Saturday night. Caleb ran for his life all night while Nick's probably could have taken a phone call inside the pocket. What suggestions would you have for heritage hall? If they were open to listening, Uh, I'll just quickly give my two cents on this. Uh, It's a philosophy call. It's do you want to get in competition money wise with Oregon and Texas A&M? Or do you want to say uh, we do it a different way and we can still be successful guys, your thoughts on it?
2: I mean, I'd tell Heritage Hall to get a time machine, go back about 15 years and not alienate all the people that, that would be able to give them money right now. That I mean, that'd, that'd be a start. So you've got to build that base. I mean, Jen, Jen Cohen has got her work cut out for her in bringing people back and getting enough people motivated to give money in this way. USC is... Not Texas A&M, and it's not Oregon. They're right. They're right. There's not. There's not the money right now that Texas A&M and Oregon have. Very few programs have that. And USC fans kind of throw out, "Oh, USC is one of those programs." They're not. They're not right now. And so USC might be able to get there, or certainly get to a point where you can get what you need because you don't. You don't need you you only need what you need you don't need what maybe somebody else needs or or a way that someone else is running it so the idea that we have to do it exactly like these other programs are doing it if you're USC i don't i don't think that is what you set it as your goal but you have you've got to figure you've got to figure something out because you are not competitive right now with all of the high school recruits that you want there's some guys that are going to go sign for money and are going to get overpaid by a ton to go to some of these schools and i'm talking about five star guys right high four stars five stars they're going to go somewhere for more than than they're worth and more than they're going to produce and i believe that there are coaches that sit there and look at that and go no that guy's not worth it that guy's not worth it for for on the field reasons and off the field reasons so i'm not a proponent of You just have to go get all those those five-star guys. I think this year showed that the transfer portal is not a slam dunk either. USC, maybe not missed, but certainly didn't get what you expected from a lot of their transfer portal imports this year. So relying on that every year, I think you can fill holes and I think you can do it right, but it's not going to be the slam dunk. This is how you know, we play for a national championship every year. So I don't know that you just say, we're going to be Oregon and we're going to dump all this money on all these recruits because you don't have it. And I don't think it's exactly the way to do it, which we saw with Texas A&M, how that class (laughs) fell apart. Um, But you got to, you got to, you have to connect with as many of those people that are going to give you money. And you really need to build that kind of war chest I think what Oregon does well for NIL, there is a very clear top-down philosophy run by, if it's run by Phil Knight or the Oregon collective or whatever it is, but they're very clear in how they want to do this and, and they're very successful in how they carry it out. I think USC needs to be better in terms of its, its, Messaging and kind of that unified top down approach with it
1: well they they're starting to do something more from a grassroots level I, that five thousand for fifty or whatever that is. Scott and I were actually talking about this you know instead of trying to find five or ten big time billionaire donors to support the collective, hit up every single Trojan fan out there with a phone number and say, Do you want to contribute whether it's five dollars ten twenty five whatever give them to your levels and all of a sudden, you're going to have a war chest that's overflowing. You don't need a 100- hundred people
2: whose seats you've stolen from, from the tower and, and pushed out of the, the stadium like, and all of that. that and not, that's, that's not right, the, that's the way universities.
3: That's not, not the way universities raise money mm-hmm. because it's not the most effective way to raise money. I, I was on a board of trustees at, at one point, and I had at least some idea of how they raise money. They go after the people that have a lot. You, you, you build relationships with a handful of people that have a lot of money. That's how you raise money. The fact that they're doing what you're suggesting, Mark, is, is plan B because plan A hasn't worked. And, and here's the thing. USC, could, USC can survive without, without matching Oregon dollar for dollar. Uh, Lincoln Riley is going to get quarterbacks and skill players for his offense. The problem is that USC is not big enough and physical enough in the trenches. But you know what? Oregon, uh, Oregon State Oregon State's pretty physical up front, certainly on the O-line. Washington has a pretty good offensive line. Utah has a fantastic offensive and defensive lines. None of those teams are throwing around huge amounts of money. US, the NIL matters. And, and from time to time, if you want a future top 10 uh, pick left tackle, you're going to have to write a check. I'm all in favor of that, but USC just needs to be better. They need to be better at identifying talent. They need to be better at coaching it up. And if they do that, they'll be able to have big guys in the trenches. If they had Utah's, if they had Utah's guys in the trenches, USC would be just fine. And Utah's not spending a lot of money to get there. Um, and one other thing on this, um, I think it's too early to say that USC's offensive line approach has failed. Uh, Lincoln was left with a pretty decent offensive line last year, but there was nothing behind it because Clay Helton had struck out year after year. And you can't just, you can't just plug in a bunch of new guys from the transfer portal on the offensive line. You can do it at corner. You can do it at wide receiver. You can't do it on the offensive line and you can't go out and and recruit a bunch of guys who are going to play on day one, but you know, they've recruited, they signed five guys last year. They got four guys this year. And there's some really good players in that group and some, and some size too. So I'm not convinced that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing on the O-line. Def- defensive line's a different store. And I think they're just going to have to go to the South and, and get out a checkbook. And if that's where you spend the money, that's probably the right place to spend the money because you're going to be able to get still skill, talent on offense. And, and I think you're doing a pretty good job on the O-line. So that's what they need to do. And hopefully they will. Now remember, it's not
1: always about the money. Just, Sometimes just check out where Bear Bear Alexander's living. That's enough incentive to leave, you know, Texas or Alabama or whatever to get that view.
0: (laughs) He's living the high life right now. He's living that. he lives better than we live. (laughs) Um, Okay, we just have a a couple more here. Some of them are really uh, short. So I want to get these in for these fans that that were kind enough to to write in. Uh, Question four from SC, the one in the OC. He's got four questions. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to zip through a couple of them real quick. Uh, he says, who will we run LA after Saturday's game? We'll, we'll give that prediction in the overtime. Uh, he says, if we get a bowl bid to a holiday bowl to play a big team, big 10 team, uh, or to the Alamo bowl to play Oklahoma, would Caleb play or sit out to protect NFL Scott, uh, stock, um, just a quick answer on that one guys. Yes or no. Does he, does he play in a bowl game?
1: Against Oklahoma? Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: I, I I think
1: he might suit up for that. Okay.
3: I don't know. I, I think that I think that uh, it's gonna be hard to get Caleb Williams on the field for a second or third tier bowl game. And I and I wouldn't blame him.
2: Yeah, I I think that if you're gonna sit it out, you sit it out against anybody. I don't know if you let if it's if it's a business decision, which you certainly assume most of these are. When it's a guy you expect to go early in the draft, and again, we're we're sort of not that we're anticipating it, but we're talking about it, like he's gonna be a a top draft pick in in the upcoming one. I, I think at that point, it's a it's a team decision, and and you're out for anything that doesn't have playoff implications.
0: Yeah, I think Caleb Williams, uh, I can see that he would play in a bowl game, quote, unquote, because he's a team player. But I would have no problem if he says, no, I, I can't afford to take a chance. I'm just that close to the NFL draft. I think
2: I think he'd want to. I think they may have to chain like his people may have to chain him to the bench if if it gets to that. Like he he does not turn down a chance to play football that he's, he's proven that.
1: If there is a God in heaven, please let it be USC versus Oklahoma in a bowl game.
3: Anywhere to make it happen. Be careful what you asked for, Mark.
0: There you that go it's okay still. All right. Uh let's just I thought these were two relevant questions. Then we have one comment from a viewer and then wrap it up. Um, with the need to increase our size, especially across the lines for the Big Ten comp transition, do we bring in a new uh strength and conditioning coach or just have Wiley change his philosophy on building up players for the field? Thoughts? anybody?
2: you bring in someone new the strength and conditioning coach does what the head coach tells them to do the head coach the coordinators whoever it is says i want players to be able to do this and to look like this but benny wiley's not going to lincoln riley and saying hey i think you should have a defensive end that that does this in the weight room or or anything like that i mean that that's that's a that's more of a a one-way street i think so if that that's going to be a Riley thing, if he looks at what his guys look like and say, we're not making the progress there that I want to make, then you make a change. But Lincoln Riley going into every season or, or certainly going into this season, he talked a lot about how different they look and how impressive they were physically and, and all of that. So seems like, seems like he was pleased with what got put out there. Um it would be it would be up to him. No, I, I want my guys to look a different way. Certainly we would all say it'd be nice to have some bigger, stronger, faster guys. Uh, but I, I think if you told Benny Wiley, hey, we want we want him to look like this, he could do whatever he needed to do to get him there.
3: If you told if you told Benny Wiley we want him to look like Georgia in the trenches, I think Benny Wiley would say they need to recruit like Georgia in the trenches.
0: Good point. Uh, I would say the only time I I felt first of all, every strength strength and conditioning coach that comes to SC is the new Messiah, right? They're gonna be bigger, strong, stronger, faster. Then the coach echoes it in the offseason. We've never looked this big and strong, what have you. I think the only one that I ever saw uh that I really paid attention to was probably Chris Carlisle, the strength and conditioning coach for Pete Carroll. And you know what Pete Carroll wanted on defense. Big, strong, fast, vicious, and Carlisle he lived up to it. He he was he was the real deal from of all the ones I've seen since. How
2: talented? How talented were the guys he was working with?
0: Well, of course. Well, of
3: course. <laughs>
0: you still have to get it done, and he did it in the way that Carol wanted it. That kind of underscores what you said, Eric. Right? It echoes. I could, have, I could
3: have coached Taylor Mays in the weight room. <laughs>
0: You know, I think that's kind of debatable. Actually, I,
3: I think I think <laughs> I could have. I think he would have gone out and looked like a, looked like a monster. Brandon Hancock, I could have. I could have dealt with Brandon Hancock. Yeah, good Brandon. Do another set. Perfect. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, uh, and here's a question. That uh, and then we're going to move on and, and finish up the segment after the season. Which assistant coaches should Riley say goodbye to on offense and on defense? I'm going to chime in on this one, you guys feel free to to, to bash it or whatever. I don't feel comfortable naming an assistant coach by name uh, because I respect them. They're trying to do a job, whether it's successful or it's not successful. You know, in the end, we'll know that. I say, just look at the areas where they're deficient and then say, has this been a, a pattern of coaching behavior? I think you can draw your own conclusions. Anybody else want to chime in on that one?
3: I mean, we've said names of assistants before. One guy we've been talking about for two years now. But, um, look, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But I, it seems to me that that anybody coaching that defense bears a pretty big uh, burden of proof to prove that they have a right to come back. Uh, and maybe some of those guys should. I don't know. I'm just saying when a defense is that bad, Um, two years in a row it's not obvious to me that anybody's done a bang-up job you know yeah
2: I think I, I think a coordinator with that much on his plate in terms of the lift that you expect he's gonna have to make coming in I think he gets should get kind of free reign on on everything he does on defense and I don't think I mean, these, these guys have had success other places, right? There's no, there's no coach on this roster that is just, well, he's an abject failure everywhere he's been. I, I think you can do something with a lot of these guys, but you have to let that guy make a call. And I think that it's, like I said, you just, there's just a natural change that that has to happen over the off season. Although I think Iowa's staff has been together for like 86 years or something like that at, at this point uh although they're gonna they're gonna need a new offensive coordinator um but but i i don't think it's bad if there's a big shakeup, even if you lose good coaches i, I think that the the program needs something it needs it needs a kick this offseason something something pretty serious um so i it would not shock me if if there's Maybe a significant turnover, like not, you know, not talking about everybody. And I certainly don't think everybody needs to go. Uh, But but I think that I think there could be could be some names.
1: There's only how many defensive assistant coaches? I mean, the coordinator's already gone. You knew that was going to happen. Everybody wanted that to happen. So you start asking yourself, has the defensive line and the Russians, have they developed from last year to this year? That's how you start asking this question. What about the linebackers? Do you like the way the secondary is developed? You know, do you want to keep a coach around because he's an ace recruiter? And then say, well, you know what? Those guys that he's recruiting, they're gonna get better under his under his tutelage as well. Has it happened? So that's a
2: fit with the new guy too. I mean, it's right, it's it's how that works together. Like you you could lose your best defensive coach just because the guy coming in has a guy that he likes for that spot, right? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not all just, has he been good? Yes. He'll stay. He's been bad. He has to go. So I I think there's a lot that's in there, but certainly with the way the defense has played, if it's your fault or not, like a shakeup, there is, is certainly worth exploring.
1: And I'm pretty sure these coaches have already been told who will be around and who won't be around. So. We'll find
0: out soon enough. Yeah, that bye week will be interesting. All right. Uh, this is from uh, SC versus ND74. Gentlemen, in my humble opinion, Coach uh, Lincoln Riley must hire a respective special teams coach as well as a new DC. But what about an OC? Wouldn't it be smart for a CLR to delegate his play calling to an OC so he can concentrate on other aspects of the game? I'll say it ain't happening. He, that's what he loves. Likes Sarkisian loves to call the plays. He's the quarterback coach. He
1: has an I mean, offensive coordinator. His name's Josh Henson. He doesn't need another one.
0: Well, that's kind yeah, of like I
3: mean, you know Steve Spurrier <laughs> called his own plays too. I mean, it, it's not like it would Florida have been better if Steve Spurrier gave the play calling duties to somebody who isn't as good at it? Probably not. I mean i I understand. I understand where where the where the question's coming from, but. I'm not convinced that's the primary problem with USC's football team is that Lincoln Riley's calling plays
1: problem with their offense is he's taking too long to call the plays.
3: That's, that's a, that's a problem.
0: That is a problem. I mean, you send up looking at the play clock, your clock going down to three, two, one snap. And you just go, you know what? You're waiting to the very last second to try to figure out what the defense is going to be doing. It's just, to me, it's, creating bigger pressure on the SC offense, uh, in my opinion. Um, here's the last the last question we're going to have. I didn't notice there was one other that was here. It's from USC husband, UCLA wife, or why? Could a big part of SC's problems uh, be that coaches like Riley and Grinch feel a need to justify their salaries by outsmarting other coaches with complicated schemes that only work in theory? Could they be more interested in pressing their peers in NFL than coaching college kids with busy schedules? Comments?
3: No, they're trying to win. I mean, Alex Grinch was trying to win. So I don't think that's the problem. It's certainly, look, overly complicated schemes uh, are, are a common issue in football, right? I mean, Paul Hackett brought in his phone book uh, playbook to USC and was trying to teach it to college kids. and It was a disaster. We, you know, with NFL guys that are professionals, then 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 they could learn that. So it's not it's not unusual to have a coach uh, have something that's overly complicated, or for the coaches just to fail to teach it well. That happens too. But it's not because Alex Brench is trying to impress somebody in the NFL. He wanted to win, and he was doing his best. He's just not very good at that job. That's the reality.
0: All right, a reminder again, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to the We members' message board, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Subtle, viewer or listener questions. All right, it's overtime, Pack 12 Week 11 predictions. Okay, we'll go in this order. Chris, Mark, Eric, and Greg. Game on Friday night, a Friday night, November 17th, Colorado at Washington State, 7.30 p.m. FS1 is televising it. Washington State is a five and a half point favorite. Chris, who are you picking?
3: I'm going with Coach Prime in this one. Uh they, they they're on a tough run, but I think that um they played pretty well last week against Arizona. I think they pull it out. Late touchdown pass from uh from uh junior prime.
0: Okay, Mark?
1: James and Pullman?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Eric. Uh I can't remember.
2: I picked a game last week to end in a tie. Did I get that right? Were there were there any ties? I'm gonna go I'm gonna go tie again uh in this one. I'm gonna get that right one of these one of these weeks. I'm right. sure that you will.
0: But... I mean, one of these weeks. Uh okay, I'm taking uh, Washington State because it's in Pullman. Uh Saturday, November 18th. Here we go. Number 18, Utah, number 19, Arizona. a.m., Pac-12 Networks. Utah is a one-point favorite. Chris?
3: This is a really good football game, actually. Um, Arizona's at home, and I think Arizona has a better quarterback, although Utah's pig farmer has been playing pretty well the last few weeks. I think this is a close game. I'm going with a home team in, uh, in in a defensive struggle.
1: Okay. Mark? I got Arizona winning at home. I I don't think it'll be a defensive struggle, though.
2: Mm. Eric? I think think Utah wins. I think it's close. I think Utah wins.
0: And I take Utah as well. Uh, Number six, Oregon at Arizona State, 1 o'clock p.m., Fox. Oregon's a 22-point favorite. Are we all in agreement on this one in Oregon? Yeah, that, that one is not a good game. That is not a good game. So yeah, all... but
2: USC USC needs Arizona state to win to keep the hope alive of getting into the conference championship game.
0: Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. More, for,
1: uh, USC struggles in Corvallis for whatever reason. Oregon struggles in Tempe they That's have, true. They, they don't play well there for whatever reason. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying Arizona State's gonna win. I think they'll be all right though. Last I think they'll week. be all right this
3: time.
2: I can't <laughs> believe Mark's saying Arizona State's gonna win. I know I'm yeah. saying That's crazy. crazy.
1: I, I thought I was did. hallucinating personally. I picked <laughs> them last week to beat UCLA. I was right. So
2: Mark's about. got Arizona State by double digits. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love
1: Arizona it. State, I respect it, Mark. I think <laughs> Arizona State will give Oregon's gonna have a letdown. I think hey, we it would
3: be, be look, it's not gonna happen. But it would be hilarious, right? I mean, I can't imagine something this week that would be more fun, including USC vs. UCLA. I mean, to watch Oregon melt down and just throw everything away would be
0: (laughs)
1: hilarious. All I'm saying is the game game will be close. That's all I'm saying.
3: I hope so.
0: All right, we got the Battle of the Bay up in Northern California. Those two ACC future powers. Cal at Stanford, 3.30 p.m., Pac-12 Networks. Cal is a four and a half point favorite. Chris, Cal is going to win that
3: game easily. that's a that's a three touchdown win for the Bears.
1: Mark, yeah, I, I'm I'm amazed at how bad Stanford is.
2: Eric, Stanford was getting better, right? They were getting better, 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 and then someone forgot to tell them they had a game. I think this this past weekend. So, yeah, I I think Cal, but uh, I. That that just climb and then off the cliff for Stanford was was really something.
0: Very bad. All right, I, I I don't trust Cal in some areas, but I do trust their running game and their their. And Stanford, you just never know. It wouldn't shock me if Stanford won the game because they they have moments of uh, competitiveness. But I'm going to take Cal, uh, although again, it wouldn't shock me if Stanford pulled it out. All right, number five, Washington at number 10, Oregon State. This is a great game. 430 uh on ABC. Washington is a one point favorite. Uh, if those of you who have been to Oregon State to see a game, it it's a whole different world when you're playing in Corvallis. But that being said, Washington is a one point favorite. That should tell you something. Chris, who are you picking? I
3: I think Oregon State's gonna be able to run the football. Um, it's going to be a wild atmosphere. But I think Washington's passing game will make just enough plays. I think the Huskies win it.
0: Mark.
1: I'm starting to wonder when Washington's luck is gonna run out, but I I'm taking I'm gonna go with the upset. One point win for, for the Beeves.
2: Eric. So this line flipped immediately. Oregon State's favored. Oregon State's favored by one in, in this game, at least as, you know, as, as of right now, uh, I think so Washington's defense is terrible. It doesn't get talked about the way USC's did because USC's is a word other than terrible, like whatever, whatever terrible square it is. But family
0: show, let's keep it clean.
2: But Washington's defense is, is atrocious and will get carved up by everyone they play moving forward. And that's in the PAC 12 championship game and whatever really good team they play in a bowl game. Uh But still in this, I kind of want to put the quarterbacks up against each other and who I think is going to make more plays. And I, I think Penix is probably that guy. If it's at Washington, I feel better about it. I, I think Washington wins in an upset Washington.
0: So you're picking Washington. I think so. Okay. Uh, Penix is great. To me, they're one-dimensional, except when they play USC. Uh, I don't know if, if DJ plays a decent, good game, and Oregon State's very balanced. Um, I shouldn't do this, but I, I'm going to pick the upset Oregon State. I, I think they have the real capability to do it.
2: You're and not it, picking the upset. You're picking the favorite. Oh,
0: you know what would you do? Just look it up?
2: It flipped It flipped like <laughs> an
0: hour after the line no, came that's out. Unfair. That's a penalty flag because when I last checked it, it wasn't that way. But that's okay. We'll take the up-to-date information. So I'll take the favorite. Or there
3: just, you go. <laughs> We're telling it like it is,
0: Greg. Come on. That's right. You got that right. All right. Our Cardinal and Gold Pick of the Week, UCLA at USC. The crosstown rivalry. Stop with the mushiness. Twelve thirty p.m. ABC. Uh, USC six point favorite. Are we all in agreement on this? I'm picking SC. I
3: think USC wins the game. Okay. I, I think USC wins the game. It will be. It will be a battle. And UCLA will make some plays offensively. They will they will get to Caleb Williams, um, but who do I trust more to make plays in the fourth quarter? Caleb Williams or ever UCLA has a quarterback? Caleb Williams.
0: I agree. Yeah, I think it's
2: tight in the fourth quarter. I, I think at a, at a certain point UCLA has a chance to get something done. I, I think I think USC wins though.
1: I think this is going to be a high scoring game, and I think USC is going to win by two touchdowns.
0: All right. Actually, I thought the only upset to me was that it's on ABC. I thought it would go to the Pac 12 networks, but then it shows you the power of two teams going into the big uh, Big Ten and the Los Angeles uh TV ratings. So then I guess that's why they do it. So once again, if you enjoyed Inside the Trojans Huddle, please check on the like button and red subscriber buttons uh on your computer or, or your or your device. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out wersc.com. Become a premium subscriber. Numbers are going up on that. Uh, that will do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Reminder to watch four downs on Friday for the latest on the SC UCLA game presented by Prize Picks and five things on YouTube and wersc.com following Saturday afternoon's USC UCLA game from the Coliseum. So, until next Tuesday, when we review the UCLA game and looking towards the bowl season, new Big Ten lightning round, all things USC football, a big thank you to our panelists. They're the best. Mark Culkin, Eric McKenney, Chris Arledge. Special thank you to all of you for your watching or listening to Inside the Trojans Huddle. Have a great week. Beat the Bruins. And until next Tuesday, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, reminding all of you to fight on, everybody.